1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Welcome to New Books Network. I'm Laura Goldberg. Some of you might know me from my blog, vittlesvamp.com. and We're here today on the Food Channel, and we're talking to an author, Maria Pasquale, about her new book, The Eternal City. Uh, It's all about Rome. Uh, which is admittedly one of my absolute favorite places on planet Earth. Uh, Maria, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Laura. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, I know you came to Rome from Australia, uh, and that's in the book a bit, you know, up top. But can you tell us a little bit about what what led you to Rome? Um, Because Australia, let's be honest, is halfway around the world from there.
3: Absolutely, I know. I, I constantly tell people that I do about a hundred flight, a hundred hours flying every year, just to go home and to get back to Rome. You know, I go home to Australia for Christmas every year, so it's um, it's far, and uh, unfortunately, you don't kind of get used to it. You know, even though. You do it so many times. Um, Look, I've been living in Rome for twelve years, and you know the connection that I had with Italy started as as a young child. I mean, my parents are both Italian born. They emigrated to Australia in the you know late sixties, and um, my paternal grandparents never emigrated to Australia. So, growing up um, in Australia, I had. Uh, Italian grandparents. And, um, you know, so those ties to Italy were forged from a very young age. And I, you know, traveled here many times as a, as a kid, as an adolescent, then in as, you know, as a young adult. And I fell in love with Rome. And quite simply, I moved here.
0: Got it. I got to tell you, I've been inspired to move there too, more than once. And, and I have a friend who actually just uh, got an apartment in one of the neighborhoods in Rome. And she's, Luckily, able to do her work from there. I'm not, so I'm I'm completely and utterly jealous of both of you. <laughs> um, and one of the things that that introduced me to you is your blog, Heart Roam. and I'm a blogger as well. But I'm just curious, what what inspired you to start your blog? What was sort of the genesis of of creating that?
3: So the blog I started in 2011, so shortly after moving here, and for me, it was just a way of keeping. Um, my family and friends back home up to date, you know, keeping them, you know, in touch with what I was doing. Because until I opened the blog, I was sending really long emails every week, you know, to a group of family and friends to say, this is what I've eaten. This is what I've learned. I mean, I knew Rome really well before I moved here. But, you know, as I had in Melbourne, my whole life, I'd been obsessed with, you know, knowing what the new openings were and what the latest restaurant trend was. And so that's what I continued doing in Rome. And so when, you know, when I moved here, I thought, well, no, I don't want to be eating where visitors are eating. I don't want to be eating where the tourists are eating in this city. I really want to get under the skin of this city. And so I started reading some local Italian blogs and, um, you know, really started to get involved with the food sector. And that's pretty much what started Heart Roam, um, the blog. I mean, initially, you know, it was my mum and my sister-in-law commenting, you know, it was just such a small little adventure. And, um, you know, it's obviously morphed into something bigger over the years.
0: No, that's great. I mean, I've got to say with with my blog, it, it sort of started out the same way, except I was one of the first food bloggers in New York. So, um, it, it you know, that was when blogging took off because I'm I'm old, I'm decrepit. And so... <laughs>
3: They say so the same cool. thing, Laura. My blog, I mean, I started, you know, when blogs were actually a thing. I mean, or they, yeah, just, no, I didn't, I, get you know, it. I didn't know what a blog was when I started my blog. And right. nowadays, you know, it's changed I, a lot. I, I mean,
0: my blog has been around now for 21 years. My blog oh, can vote wow. in the States. So it's, wow. it's like, no, it, it's highly entertaining because now people are like, you know, you talk to some people and they have no clue what a blog is because it's no longer a thing. Um, but uh, you know, I, I still think of them as a thing, and I think there's at least an entire generation that does. And I'm curious, like, are there any other blogs or, or sources you like to go to, not necessarily in terms of Rome but maybe Rome, but also, you know, I know that, that, you know, you obviously travel elsewhere. I, I, I'm always looking for resources when I'm traveling and I look to, to, locals like you that, you know, are willing to, to give a bit of a guide. Um, do you have any, any other blogs um, or Instagram or, or, you know, things that you really absolutely.
3: love? Um, look here in Rome, uh, I can recommend, you know, a number of um, blogs uh, like, um, uh, G- you know, Gillian McGuire, who is, you know, started out way way before me and she runs a wonderful uh, site with, you know, really great tips on the city and now has an associated newsletter, Rome Wise here in Rome, Alyssa Bernard, who does a great job. And, you know, they're just a couple of the people that at least, you know, that I follow here in the city But, you know, more broadly, like you said, you know, wherever it is that I'm traveling in the world, yes, I'll look up some press articles. Yes, I'll look at, you know, social media. But, you know, going to a blog and finding someone, you know, the equivalent of yourself or myself, somebody that actually lives in a city. um, For me, that is really invaluable to get that, you know, local insight and, you know, see where, you know, the locals are eating, where they're playing, where they're traveling, it gives you a completely different perspective and and
0: uh that leads me into talking about your book The Eternal City, because I really felt like you had set this book up to give somebody insight into mm-hmm. how Romans live because it is very I want you to explain sort of how you came to decide how to separate chapters, because I'm, I'm used to seeing books that are like by course. So, you know, you're, here are hors d'oeuvres, here, here are main dishes, here are sides, yeah. or season, you know, but you went in a very different direction.
3: Can, can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, I think, look, for me, I mean, it just made sense because that is so culturally, you know, the way the book has been divided um, is so culturally tied to to roman cuisine and to how we eat here in rome you know well, so can many you
0: explain you, to listeners who haven't who haven't seen the absolutely. book exactly how it's set up
3: yeah so like you were saying yeah. Warren, you know most recipe books yeah you know the classic repertoire you know is divided into you know entree main dessert or exactly, like you said, yeah. season nowadays or um you know the eternal city i decided to uh divide it by place, so each chapter um, tells the story of, um, you know, a different place in Rome. A place, the places where we eat the dishes that we eat in Rome. So, you know, it's common to, you know, you eat pizza at a pizzeria, you eat fried, sn- uh, fried snacks or fried treats, um, which are very common in Roman cuisine at a friggitoria, which is a fried, um, you know, snack joint in a sense. Cakes at the pasticceria. So each of the chapters, the trattoria, which is you know symbolic of Rome. And um, you know where we eat cucina romana, you know Roman cuisine. So where you're headed for a carbonara is going to be at a trattoria. You do not eat pizza at a trattoria in Rome. Um, you know you rarely eat or rarely find pizza and pasta on. You know which sometimes you know visitors to the city or visitors to Italy, especially their first time, are quite surprised um, because you know Italian cuisine has obviously taken a different. Um, you know is super you know different Uh, let's say in uh, many other countries Australia America of course you know we have different versions of regional cuisine but oh
0: yeah absolutely
3: you know Italian food also as a concept is really hard to define because you know Italy really was just a whole bunch of kingdoms and different regions before the country was unified just over 150 years ago
0: yeah, no, it's uh, absolutely true. And, and when I've traveled throughout Italy, I've noticed that, I mean, there definitely are different specialties when you go to different areas. And I mean, it's not that unlike a lot of the rest of the world. I mm-hmm. mean, I know in the United States, for example, if you go to New Orleans, uh, very different in terms of, of the local cuisine from what you're going to find in New York. I mean, and and, right. you know, and and also some of it has to do with the the kind of, you know, of you know in the states anyway you know who came you know which which you know um which immigrants came and 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 you know sort of set the tone in some ways right. but but you know i really loved the way the book was set up to sort of give you a taste literally of the different kinds of you know food focused you know um establishments you would be walking into and and there definitely is a real specificity about mm-hmm. that and and it did make me also think about food shopping um because I do think there's a very different sensibility you know across Europe but but definitely in Rome and I'm curious you know from your perspective like what how do you food shop what markets do you frequent and also like cuz I'm going to be really honest right now. I, I had a fresh direct delivery this morning. I, you know, um, so, you know, I got one of those food app deliveries, you know, for my, some groceries. Uh, do Romans even, do, does that exist? You know, uh, I, I'm curious about how you buy food and experience the food that you bring into your own kitchen.
3: It does, and look, just finally on the you know the split of the the recipes in the book. I mean, I think the other purpose um, of it, which I'm glad to hear that it's kind of worked with you, is to give people you know a sense of them traveling through Rome because you're actually you know almost not physically, but you're kind of virtually traveling through the different areas of the city. So that for me was super important. Which takes us to the market. I do have a local market. I live in the Trastevere neighborhood in Rome, uh, which is on the Left bank of the Tiber. Um, And, you know, the thing I love about the markets in Rome is that, you know, like we see across Italy, that, you know, most quartieri or, you know, quarters of each city still have a daily um, or, you know, weekly market. And, um, you know markets, yes. yeah, we often say in Italy that you know, and this is with no disrespect to French cuisine, which I love, but you know French cuisine is you know so much, a little bit more focused on um uh being technical and you know looking so beautiful and the aesthetic, whereas Italian food we say starts in the market because seasonality is the most important thing the pro- you know it really starts from the produce, very simple. Um, and good quality produce is what gets us all those, you know, favourite dishes that we all love and hold dear to our heart. Apps, they do exist here in Rome. I use apps like Uber Eats or Deliveroo, and you can get your ah. shopping done online. In a lot of neighbourhoods, um, supermarkets are offering Um, online deliveries or, you know, regular deliveries for people in the neighbourhood. And this, of course, has actually increased because of the pandemic. um, Oh, I'm sure. Until recently, you know, the the experience of going to your neighbourhood pizzeria, you know, to have a pizza was such a, you know, so culturally tied to, um, you know, Roman identity, you know, going on the weekend with family to have a pizza is what you do. So you would never really... um, you know get it wasn't just a lot less common to get takeaway pizza but as we know being you know locked in our houses changed that and so a number of pizza places had to resort to you know when they were finally allowed of course but had to resort to online apps and you know delivery apps and so that has taken on um a little bit you know become a little bit more popular let's say
0: well I'll be curious to see you know when we look back on all of this, you know, three years from now, four years, mm-hmm. ten, you know, whether or not we see some of these trends take hold that sort of were, were put into place from the pandemic, or if we go back to the way we were before, if there's something completely new. And and that'll give you an opportunity to write a completely new book. It will. Um, <laughs> I mean,
3: outdoor dining, I mean, outdoor dining has always been a thing in a a city like Rome where we have, you know, reasonably wild, sorry, mild, I should say, not wild, but we have mild temperatures, you know, even in the winter, you know, up until, you know, for many months of the year, you're able to eat outdoors. But now because of, um, you know, COVID and uh, the desire, you know, for people to be eating um, outdoors instead of in, you know, small closed spaces, that's increased as well, which has taken, you know, created a number of pedestrian zones in the city that, um, you know, didn't exist beforehand.
0: Yeah, no, in, in New York, and uh, I've seen this in other cities in the U S too, you know, a lot of different cities gave, you know, uh, you know, took away different, you know, restrictions in terms of outdoor seating. And now Mm -hmm. you have a lot of like little cabin type things out front. Um, Some of them are lovely. Some of them are not. (laughs) Some of them are less lovely, shall we say? Um, But, you know, everybody loves the idea that it makes them think that they're in a place like Rome. Um, So there is something rather magical about that. And Yes. You've got much more temperate uh, temperatures, which, you know, once again, quite jealous of that. Um, and, and, you know, as well as, you know, I, like I said earlier, I love Rome and, and, you know, there are a variety of different kinds of restaurants and places I love visiting when I'm there. But I noticed the recipes in the book. Come from a variety of sources, some of them some restaurants that you mentioned you mentioned you you, you know you you actually highlight certain key people a butcher a a, a you know a, a somebody who who owns and runs a, a cheese shop. Can you explain a little bit like how you selected the recipes and who you were going to get them from um i i found I found looking through them you know really interesting um so i'm I'm curious how that process took place
3: yeah look. You know, the Eternal City, you know, when I say that it's a love letter uh, to to Rome, it really is in that it's, you know, it represents my, Journey in this city. So, you know, the local cheese man that you talk about, you know, I didn't have a cheese um, manga before I moved to Rome, and now I do because, you know, like we shop in a different way here in Rome. And, you know, like small family run and generational run food stores are much more common um, here yeah. than they are, at least for me, you know, that they were in Melbourne. Um, so, you know, the people that I've chosen to feature in this book are the people that quite simply feature in my daily life. And, you know, for me, it was so important. Important to include, of course, the recipes. I mean, you know, that's obviously the, the crux of this book. But for me, one of, you know, the most important um, uh, objectives was to, you know, to showcase some of these unsung heroes and some of these uh, Romans who work tirelessly to protect and to preserve these, um, you know, traditions. You know, they're working every day. My cheese shop, you know, it's been around since 1900. So, um, you know, in the same family, it's, you know, three generations of of cheese, (laughs) which is great. And the rest of the recipes, you know, Rome's um, premier bakery, Roscioli. We have a Michelin star chef in Christina Bowerman, who is Rome's only female chef who has a Michelin star in this city. And then some friends. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. then, you know, some friends, you know, some of the dishes that I've tasted, at, they're in their homes over the years. So it wasn't just about going to the most famous people or going to the most important uh, bakeries and restaurants in a sense, uh, but it was about, you know, sharing what my journey and, you know, the fabric, you know, all the pieces that make up the fabric of my, you know, Roman holiday to use such a cliche term, but, you know, to showcase and show, um you know who the romans are because they've been just so good to me and i'm you know indebted to to this city
0: well i I, it does paint a portrait of one that is i mean definitely welcoming but like we're looking a bit under the hood um Mm. into what it could be like if if only i could make that move um but you had mentioned earlier you know uh actual Roman fare and there's the, the Trattoria section of the book is really devoted to that. And, you know, I will say that for the most part, I mean, that food, my experience of it anyway, and, and looking through the book as well, it's really rib sticking. I mean, this, this, this is heavier fare and considering the, the, the the milder temperatures, I've, I've always (laughs) found it interesting that that's the food Of Rome. And I'm just curious do Romans really eat that on a very regular basis? I'm assuming so, but uh, I'm curious about your experience of that.
3: They do and they don't, I mean, is the short uh, answer to that. You know, I have many friends and family who come to Rome and especially in summer and they're like, oh, let's go and have a carbonara. And I couldn't, I mean, as much as it's, you know, I love carbonara, it's my favourite Roman dish, but I couldn't think of anything worse than having that on a hot summer's night because the other thing that people need to know about... um, Uh, you know, cuisine here is that generally if you, I mean, look, if you're going out for dinner, that's one thing, and you might treat yourself to, you know, a couple of courses or you might treat yourself to a pasta in the evening. But generally in the Italian home, um, you know, pasta is eaten traditionally. uh, The heavier dishes are eaten during the day. And at night um, you will tend to have a lighter dish. And, you know, we do as much as pork and meat, are a big part of the cuisine here in Rome. You know, lamb is such a big thing and, um, you know, veal cutlets and all of those sorts of things. You know, seafood also plays a big role and vegetables play a big role in um, Cucina Romana. You know, um, Rome might see, you know, it's in this valley and you kind of feel you know, quite removed from the sea, but, you know, the port of Rome is only, you know, 30 or 40 kilometres away. So um, it's probably one of the most underrated aspects of Roman cuisine, um, seafood, I dare say. Yeah, I I will say I've been to some
0: really remarkable seafood restaurants in Rome, but I agree with you. That isn't what most people think of when they think of Roman cuisine. That said, said for vegetables, when I was there recently, the city seemed to be just aglow with, with, I don't know if that's the right term, with artichokes.
3: Artichokes were
0: everywhere,
3: and you have them in your book as well. That's right. We cook. Look, in Rome, we eat we eat artichokes two ways: Roman style or Jewish style. Um, the carciofo alla Judea, which is the Jewish style, is a double fried artichoke so it's fried once sits there and dries and then you fry it again so it looks like this you know blooming crispy golden flower and it's It's salted you know really simple but what a delicacy and then roman style which is almost you know braised and um, you know with mentucha which is a local it's it's not exactly mint but it's kind of you know from the mint family let's say it's calamint and it's a you know a herb that's grown locally in this region um, so, yeah, you know, car- uh, carciofi artichokes, but, you know, asparagus, you know, when when spring comes in and then when winter rolls around, you'll start to see puntarelle on the menu, which are from the endive family. And you see those, you know, chalked up on trattoria blackboards all over the city. So, you know, that's what I do love that, at you know, all times of the year there is, you know, you can eat different things. And you can also, you know, especially in terms of fresh produce, like uh, vegetables and and fruits, those sorts of different things will be on the menu at different points of the year.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, for me, one of my treats, uh, it's, it's, some people will think this is quite odd. When I go to Italy, chicaria, because you don't have that here, the chicories that they they cook down. Oh my God. I mean, I've often gone into a restaurant and I, I get a look of surprise that that's what I want to eat for dinner, you know. Because usually, when when an American comes into a restaurant, you know, they're they're looking forward to a nice bill that includes, you know, <laughs> uh, 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 you know, some vitello and you know, some some agnolotti, but instead I'm I'm, I'm sitting there and ordering cicoria, (laughs)
3: Um, but it's so good. (laughs) No, it's so good. And I think, you know, the vegetables, you'll find them, you know, at least in Rome, uh, you'll see them on the menu, like cicoria ripassata, which means, you know, refried. Okay. So in a sense, you know, vegetables like spinach or um, chicory, uh, you know, and other sorts of like endives, leafy greens, they're often, you know, like blanched and like slightly cooked, but then they, you know, prepare them for you, like refried in a pan with, you know, olive oil, you know, clove of garlic, not never crushed garlic. We don't eat anywhere near as much garlic as um, foreigners think at least in Rome we don't but they'll put a whole garlic in and then take it out before they serve the dish just to give it a little hint and some um, you know pepperoncino like some chili flakes and it's just you know delicious such a great way and a, such a simple way to eat vegetables that's and it's
0: absolutely marvelous I mean I it's one of the, the things that I love when I when I go to Rome um, when I'm lucky enough to go to Rome. and um, there's something else I love that I, I think will make a lot of listeners uh, squeamish uh, and you devote an entire chapter to it, El quinto corto um, yes. which is awful, which isn't awful awful.
3: You know, I'm going to be careful with my silly Australian accent. Exactly. When I say it's awful and people think I say it's awful. and
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, no, I get it. But we're talking intestines, people. We're That's talking, right. you know, the, the internal bits and pieces that, that yeah. might have been rejected um, by some, but embraced by others. Um Can you tell us a little bit about that and your experience of it in Rome? And I noticed you mentioned a a sandwich shop in particular, which, which I've been to. So I'd love to talk about that for a bit, too.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well, the sandwich shop is Mordi Evai, which means, you know, a bite on the run or bite and run. And, um, you know, they're located in Testaccio Market, which is a great food market in Rome, not just to buy food but to eat food. And, um, you know, and they feature actually in one of the chapters in the book about the New Romans because of, you know, this um, concentration of street food outlets that have popped up over the last, you know, street food's not a new concept at all in Rome or in Italy for that matter. But, you know, a number of these places that have popped up in the last decade or so that are serving up nostalgic Roman treats like you said, you know, these scraps in a sense. It's nose to tail cooking, tripe, um, brains, lungs, spleen. This is the real Roman cuisine, um, you know. And the Quinto Quartos, uh, the translation of that, so that's just a Roman colloquialism, I mean, or a Roman dialect in a sense. It's what we call that whole set of recipes, which are trippa alla romana, you know, Roman-style tripe, or la payata, which are pan-fried, um, you know, veal intestines served just as a as a main dish, or served um, with a tomato sauce and rigatoni pasta. The quinto quarto translates to the fifth quarter, which, you know, anyone that's anyone will tell you that that's kind of strange because a quarter is, you know, you have four quarters, not five. And so the fifth quarter, I mean, so basically it relates to the slaughter, you know, the historic slaughtering of animals. So when you slaughter animals, you would slaughter them in quarters. And each quarter in Rome would go to a different segment of society. So it was split between, you know, one set of the meat, the best part, the best cuts would go to the nobility. Another set would go to the clergy, you know, or the priests, and then there's the middle class, the bourgeois, and the military. So anything that was left over was, you know, were were paid in a sense. You know, like these are like your overtime. (laughs) You were given, you know, Roman slaughterhouse workers were given these, um, you know, pieces, off ends, off cuts. And, you know, you therefore had this generation of Roman women who had, you know, these working class men go home with, you know, the, the tongue and the ox tail, And you had this generation of women, like I said, who, you know, developed, in a sense, these recipes that are still on menus today. God la vaccinata is my favourite, you know, it's kind of like, I mean, it's awful, but in a sense, you know, true awful lovers of Lovers will say that's the least um, adventurous, but I love Roman Oxtail. That's probably my um, favourite.
2: Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas.
0: Oxtail's gorgeous. And you, you notice it here in the States um, more often with Caribbean food, I've noticed. But um, yeah, no, it's lovely. And I will say the last time I was in Rome, I had some some lamb offal mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. with artichoke uh, oh, at a lovely restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so good. Oh my God, delicious. So but, it's, but it's the kind of thing that I think a lot of people visiting Rome would a never think of trying, mm-hmm. and b even if they thought of it, would think uh, no.
3: <laughs> they're, yeah, they're expecting... it's not uh, it's not for everyone, um, and it's not for everyone to taste as well. Um, you know, obviously, my recommendation for anyone that is you know feeling slightly adventurous, um, I think that you know if you're at a trattoria you know, get, get the, the local, the waiters to, you know, get you something even small to try and, you know, just kind of like dip your toes in.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, say. actually that, that, that's a really good idea. I mean, I think anybody who really loves food and loves showing people their food with its real hospitality, they're going to be excited that you want to try the tripe, you
1: Absolutely. know, um,
0: because so many, so many who would visit will, will be squeamish about it, will be too picky to, to even, you know, taste it. But, um, but I mean, you know, sometimes this is how you learn. I mean, it's how we teach children how to eat. And yet, you know, as adults, often we're, we're like, we're used to what we're used to. And I remember many, many, many years ago, once again, I'm I'm old and decrepit, um, going to Florence for the very first time while I was in college. And there was a family sitting near us in a restaurant who who was very upset that that they didn't speak English and that they didn't have italian american food as opposed to italian food (laughs) so
3: yeah Yeah. And look, and that's okay. I often say, I mean, I have the same experience and that's not to, you know, put any culture or country in a box. It's, you know, there is, look, the Italian food is probably one of the most imitated cuisines in the world. And so, you know, I I do, I have visitors as well, visitors and friends and family who come here and they're surprised not to see, you know, those things and understandable because, you know, they're things that have been um, portrayed as Italian for so many years outside of Italy. You know, things like, and I don't know about the States, but things like garlic bread. Um, yeah, exactly. Yep. You know, something so simple. I've had people ask me, they're like, oh, where's the garlic bread? What do you mean they don't make garlic bread? And it's like, look, that's okay. We have bruschetta, we have bread. I mean, we have other things. Um, but, you know, that's the beauty of travel and, you know, people get to uncover and learn as they go. And, you know, with dishes like the Quinto Cuarto, but even, you know, so many other dishes that are even, you know, obviously in the book and just generally form part of so many different cuisines around the world, you know, as you travel, you realise that they're tied to culture, they're tied to people, and they're tied to historical events. So, you know, it's kind of nice to sometimes learn the backstory of something, and that sometimes might, you know, encourage you to try something new, which is always, I think, you know, a good thing. Yeah, no, well, one of the easier things I've, I, that's, oh, you know, that every,
0: uh, at least American, I find embraces are the sweets. And and you do have a whole mm. section devoted to it. You just mentioned Re, Rejoli, um, mm. which is a wonderful uh, pastry shop there. But, um, I, you know, I'm just curious what your experience of breakfast in Italy is, because my experience has always been that that's when they have a sweet or are Mm -hmm. sweets throughout the day and the evening too. And what are some of your favorites? And and please mention some that are in the book. So
3: sweets, uh, breakfast is sweet um, in Italy. Um, It's not, um, you know, in America, in Australia, we have this like huge focus on you know breakfast is the big meal of the day. It's the important meal of the day. It's the meal that starts you off. You know, here the you know that kind of Italy or the Mediterranean diet, in a sense, turns that you know that food pyramid in a sense completely on its head. Um, and here you won't find eggs and bacon on the menu, or you know, just those sorts of savory dishes that we might you know be, we're just so accustomed to outside of um, outside of Europe. Sweets. Uh, you know, like cornetto, that's usually what an Italian would have for breakfast, which is not, you know, we, we don't want to say it's a croissant, but it's very similar to a croissant. It has, um, you know, it's just prepared less butter in a sense. I mean, that's probably one of the only things that, d- it, you know, differentiates the... Um, the cornetto to the croissant or if you're at home it's generally you know biscuits and coffee and a lot of Italians or Romans at least will just literally take coffee like a shot at the bar and be off on their merry way like it's just not a big not a big deal. Sweets do have um, less sugar and a less um, I'd like to say um, mass you know commercially produced in a sense um, here in Italy so it's not that Italian kids are being fed sugar um (laughs) for breakfast so you know I think um it's just such a beautiful part of the culture and the pasticceria plays an important role in um in Italian culture it's where you go um, you know to make a bella figura to make an important or a good impression on family you would stop off and get cakes on the way to a dinner party or on the way to Sunday lunch um and that's you know the role that the pasticceria holds in Italian culture and And tell, tell us about a couple of the recipes
0: in the book for the sweets that, that you think are really sort
3: of um, iconic. So, the Roman dish, the Roman sweets, at least the ones that are covered in the book, um, are crostata, which is a tart, you know, like a jam tart, a crostata with ricotta and visciole, which is a ricotta a ricotta and sour cherry tart. And then you have the maritozzo, which is, you know, what most Romans, uh, you know, especially you know, pretty nostalgically tied to, because for most of them, it, you know, it's the, it's the dish that takes them back to their childhood. It's, um, you know, a cream cream bun in essence, you know, fresh cream, a bun split with, um, yeah, loads of fresh cream and that's one Mm. of my favourites. My other um, favourite... dessert is in the book and it's not in the pasticceria section it's my favorite trattoria dessert here in rome is a mascarpone mousse with fragoline fragoline like small strawberries alpine strawberries wild strawberries whatever you'd like to call them which are really common here in italy especially in uh, central italy and so this is just this luscious mascarpone mousse served at my local trattoria which is da enzo in trastevere
0: Yeah, no, I I saw that recipe, and and trust me, my mouth watered. Yeah, and it's Um, super easy to make, Laura. Yeah, well, I'm actually thinking of making it uh, Saturday night for some friends. Um, I will let you know. I will let you know. Please do. Please do. (laughs) And um, there's also a section in the book that, uh, not a chapter, but like two full pages about the new Romans. Mm-hmm. So what's, what are the dining trends? You mentioned it a bit before when it, when it came to street food, but can you talk about the trends that you're seeing bubble up and, and whether or not, since you've written the book and it's been published, whether or not there's anything that's heating up even more or something new that, I mean, we're going to give something away that'll be in the next book, but um, would love to hear about sort of what is happening now, what, what's sort of hitting the scene.
3: Yeah I was really you know um keen to include this chapter in the book because there are there are some young Roman chefs who are you know and food um you know people that work in this food sector that are you know flirting with uh, tradition and um you know like playing around with ingredients and so they're doing some really wonderful things um one of the um chefs that I mentioned in this section is Ricardo Di Giacinto who unlike you know some other fine dining you know chefs who work in the fine dining space I mean he has one Michelin star at his restaurant uh, Alloro here in Rome I highly recommend it um you know one of the things he's doing, like I said, unlike uh, some other chefs in this space, is not so much deconstructing dishes, but you know uh, taking people back through you know through memory, through feeling, through texture, through you know a range of um, mediums. Um, you know, so he's recreated like um, the coda alla vaccinata, which as I mentioned before, which is Roman oxtail stew, and he's turned it into like almost a, you know, like a Ferrero Rocher, like of sorts. And, you know, he's like made a carbonara, you know, serving it in a different. Um, a format, but when you you know when you take that first bite, um, you know it feels like you're eating a carbonara. So I think he's kind of paying respect to Roman cuisine, but just delivering it in a different way, which I really like. Um, you know, we I showcase uh, the story of Stefano Callegari, who has is the founder of the Trapizzino here in Rome, which is a play on words. Trapizzino is a you know combo of uh, a sandwich and a pizza. So in a sense, you know, if the, I can give you the idea, you know, to listeners, it's like a pizza pocket and they're filled with dishes that you would normally eat at home that have, you know, now now back on menus because they're super cool and because, you know, restaurants are, around the world have taken on a bit of a retro, uh, you know, vibe in a sense. So, you know, meatballs and tripe or tongue and you'll find those. I mean, that's probably a great way for the less adventurous to, you know, have their little foray into real Roman cuisine. And then gourmet gelato, which is another, um, you know, concept that in a sense has been, you know, born of austerity and, you know, economic um, hardships here in here in Rome. You've had a couple of um, pioneering gelato makers like um, uh, Maria Agnese from Fata Morgana and Marco Radiccioni from Otteleg who are, you know, Giving people that may not have had the opportunity uh, to, you know, experience some of these tastes and flavors that you would have like at a fine dining restaurant, you know, like, um, you know, truffle or matcha tea or you know these sorts of like I said, uh, flavor combinations, pairing Gorgonzola. You'll find all the classics at these places, but they're also playing with ingredients and for a few euro, um, you know, bringing um, a bit more of a, you know, refined. Uh, gelato experience to the messes it's a lot of fun
0: a lot of fun i mean it one other one you, one other one you mentioned was sort of a cocktail culture and and speakeasies which to me because i think of italy in terms of of you know spirits wow. and i think immediately of amaro um you know uh, and i i'm trying to remember whether or not i don't think i saw a cocktail recipe in the book but uh, you know can you talk a little bit about that that cocktail culture that's that's sort of you know, bubbling up.
3: Yeah, look, we died there aren't recipes for cocktails. No, not in the book. But there is a breakout on the aperitivo, which you know is a beautiful part of Italian culture. It's the aperitif. It's the drink that you have with a couple of little snacks, and not just before dinner. I mean, you know, typically you'll find Romans or um, you know anywhere in across Italy popping into a bar just before lunch, even. And you know, the the point of the aperitivo here is to um, you know it comes from the Italian verb aprire to open. So the Italians maintain that, you know, having a little snack and a drink before, you know, your big meal opens your, you know, it's like switches the stomach on for uh, digestion. It's like ready to go um, for your big meal. And so cocktails, we have one bar in Rome, Drink Kong, that is now um, currently in the list of the world's 50 best bars. And the Jerry Thomas Project, which was recently in the list, Um, I don't know if they made the cut this year. But, you know, Rome barmen are certainly lifting their game and so, you know, and it's also moved from, you know, generally Romans are drinking in bars on the streets whereas, you know, a number of these cocktail bars and this focus on mixology has taken to the rooftops and so I'd like to say that at least visitors to this city are now, you know, spoiled for choice when it comes to a quality, you know, an expertly mixed drink but also with a wonderful and spectacular roman view to match
0: well um speaking of views i've got to say that there are photos in the eternal city that are absolutely stunning and give a view i'm just can you talk a little bit more about how you said about like you know publishing this book. And also, I'd love to hear about your earlier book, which I believe is about, you know, helping you you become more Italian and, and just the process, because I know mm-hmm. a lot of our listeners, you know, are, are considering, you know, is there a way for me to become an author and what it's taken to, to sort of get to this point?
3: Absolutely. I look. I have to say from the outset, and I don't know if you know your audience is predominantly American or um, you know looking to to get into publishing. I had a reasonably. Uh, in a sense, unorthodox way of having my first book published and I say that in that I don't have a literary agent and um, at least in this space of food, travel and lifestyle um, in Australia you can, uh, you know, contact cold, any publisher and reach out with a, um, you know, with the proposal and that is what I did with my first book, I Heart Rome, which was published in 2017 I had, you know, I'd been approached over the years, you know, through my press work and um, initially with the blog by um, some people that worked in publishing and they'd asked me to submit a pitch and it never went anywhere. And then in 2016, I literally dusted off, you know, the proposal that I had and I thought I'm going to send this out again. And I sent it to three publishers and two never got back. Well, one got back to me and didn't go anywhere. One I never heard from. And then Smith Street Books, who are my publisher, they're a small um, Australian Melbourne based publisher who rely on a very large um, global distribution network. Uh, They, you know, they picked it up. And so the rest is history. And so my second book, How to Be Italian, came out um, at the end of 2021. And that doesn't have recipes. It's a different book. It's, um, you know, it focuses on the Italian lifestyle. It's a deep dive into the Italian DNA. It's a celebration of all things Italian. And so it, um, you know, takes a look in each chapter on how the Italians think, how they eat, how they drink, of course but also how they love, how they speak, how they travel, um, you know, and how they dress, all of these things that, uh, you know, define Italian, the Italian identity, the Italian DNA. And that, I have to say, sold out a couple of times across the States and Australia, so I'm super, super happy with it and being incredibly proud of of that book, which I wrote during the emergency phase of the pandemic. So it will always hold a special place in my heart. I, I can see why. I
0: mean, you know, for me when I visit Rome, I am, you know, and, and other parts of Italy as well, I'm always taken by the fact that that people there really do live differently. And there definitely is a sense of style and a commitment to it that I haven't seen. I mean, I live in New York City and I still don't see that same level of commitment, you know, across generations in terms of of style. Um so um, I now want to pick up that book as well. I don't have it, and I clearly need to get it. Oh, we'll um, make sure you get a copy of it. Oh well, okay. <laughs> I won't say no. I won't say no. Um, but the Eternal City, in terms of putting this together, can you? Uh, and I know this is, you know, you're not the photographer, I believe, but of course. but did you have have uh, input in terms of what photographs went in the book? Because I will say once again, it, it is
3: beautiful. Thank you very much. Um, I have to say, um, you know, Smith Street books really do produce beautiful books and so I've always um, put much faith and trust in um, the decisions that they make. And the um, the graphic designer is uh, Vanessa Mashi, her name is, and she's based in Melbourne. She did a wonderful job at, you know, putting all of the pieces together, you'll see the cover that kind of, you know, calls a little bit to the, you know, the marble terrazzo that we often see on the on the floor here. And um, the photographer, Mark Roper, is a wonderfully talented Melbourne photographer. And Liz Calliper, um, who is a wonderful food stylist, of course. I mean, you know, just there are so many people that are involved in the making of a book and my editor and proofreader. And, you know, it's just it's a really huge and all-consuming um uh, process in terms of the photos I uh, was involved in terms of the um, you know creative or co- you know in a consulting uh, creative consultancy way in a sense so um, at the end of each shoot I would get the photos sent to me and you know we really had to redo them um, which was great <laughs> so that's nice got
0: it got it well it is a stunning book uh, a really lovely book to read and, and before I let you go um, listeners should know I'm speaking to Maria on Good Friday. So it's going, you know, this Sunday is Easter, which I'm sure I've never been in Rome uh, at Easter, but I'm, I'm assuming it is, uh, quite the sight to behold. I'm I'm curious what will be on your table or the table you'll be visiting or at, at, you know, the restaurant you'll be going to, what, what, can you talk a little bit about what you're expecting this Sunday by way of food?
3: Absolutely. And you said Good Friday. I mean, I've just spoken to my family who have just gone to sleep in Australia. They had a big fish dinner because it's, you know, it's traditional not to eat meat for, you know, Catholics or Roman Catholics in particular on Good Friday. Um, It's not a public holiday in Italy. I know that in some countries in Australia, at least it is. But so today is just like any other day in a sense. But tonight and from this afternoon, the whole city has, you know, just about shut down in terms of road closures because the Pope will um, take part, he leads the Via Crucis, which is, um, you know, walking through the Stations of the Cross and, um, you know, in terms of, you know, anyone that's Catholic will know what that is. And he does that at the Colosseum. So that's the, that's tradition here in Rome. And then there'll be some other activities, of course. There'll be the Sunday um, Angelus, the Mass um, at the Vatican in St. Peter Square on Sunday. I myself will be with my family. My um, Both my parents were born in Abruzzo and I'm still very tied to that region. So I'll be heading about just under two hours east of Rome and we will have many things on the table but um, not least uh, lamb and there will be lasagna as well. But, you know, lamb, especially in central Italy and, you know, across the... A country in a sense, but predominantly in central Italy, lamb is the big thing that we eat um, for Easter because, you know, the lamb of God, it represents uh, rebirth and, um, you know, new beginnings, which is what, you know, at least in Catholic culture, what um, Easter is all about.
0: And do you have the, the Easter baskets that we have in the States with, with candy or there's a specific sweet that, that, you know, is definitely part of the celebration?
3: We have, I mean, Easter eggs. You'll have, you know, beautiful decorated uh, Easter eggs Um, here. Traditionally, they were always dark chocolate, but nowadays you'll find all sorts of eggs. Um, I love, you know, the pasticceria, which we spoke about. You know, if you walk into any bakery or any pasticceria anywhere in Italy at the moment, and this is throughout any of the festive seasons, you know, whether it's Christmas or Father's Day, I love that there's always a reason to be eating something different um, at all, you know, just for any good reason, you know, like at the moment there are Easter eggs everywhere. And pastiera, which is another, um, you know, it comes predominantly from the Campania region and Naples, but you'll find it in Rome and in many other um, cities. And pastiera is made with, um, you know, ricotta or, um, you know, like. Um, Uh, candied fruit so you know you'll find a lot of desserts at easter have cheese or dairy and again leading back to that you know what i said earlier about the lamb because eggs and chickens and all those sorts of things kind of represent you know new life so um that is what easter is about and you see that in the cheese and egg dishes um that we we find on menus and in cake stores
0: well um I in, I wish I was there, I must say, <laughs> but now 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 you're inspiring me even more. I must make that mascarpone uh, dish you this weekend because now 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 all I want is gorgeous dairy and and strawberries and such. But um, I cannot thank you enough, uh, Maria Pasquale, the Eternal City recipes and stories from Rome. Thank you so much for joining today and thank happy Laura.
3: Thanks so much for having me.